0: I'm Greg Daller-Coltman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where we have been and are now to where we're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives between those three tiny dots.
1: I found out, I realized that I had synesthesia when I was 22 and when I when I was in university. So basically what happened was in my second year painting class, one of my professors had given us an assignment and he was like, okay, everybody has to paint a piece of music and, or like a song, he didn't say piece of music, everyone has to paint a song. And he was like, try not to make it literal. Uh, and so for me, I was like, well, obviously. <laughs> easy <laughs> um but for everyone else they're like oh the song is about birds so i'm gonna put birds and he was like no don't do that but everyone did it anyway <laughs> um and then mine ended up being this like mess of shapes and color and it was just this busy like but it, there was nothing like um what is the word uh like there were no figures or there's nothing figurative sure. or literal about it. Or, yeah exactly like it was just And it it was this like funny electronic song, super busy. And anyway, so that's what came up for me. And I remember like showing it to the class for our crit and everyone was just like, okay, cool, I guess. Like nobody got it. They were just like, what the hell is this? And I was like, huh? Like I was really proud of it, but I also didn't know what I had done. Like I was just kind of like, well, this is obviously how I see this piece of music.
0: In her own words, It's all about how C.L. Bo sees a piece of music. Growing up, this was simply normal to her, but it wasn't until three years into her visual arts studies at Emily Carr University in Vancouver that she learned there was a thing called synesthesia. Her discovery of her own synesthesia has led her not only to better understand her sensory experience of the world but has also allowed her to embrace it as a powerful modality for creative expression. C.L. is a multidisciplinary artist, primarily practicing as both musician and visual artist, who told me recently that there has never been a time when she found herself unable to not do both. Her work focuses on the human condition, our emotional responses and everyday experiences, her visual art explodes off the canvases or walls of the urban landscape with a vibrancy of color and shape that invites the inner child in us all, outside, to play in this imaginative world she has created. I am so thrilled to be in conversation with C.L. Beau. Welcome. How are you this morning?
1: Thank you. I'm good. That was so nice. <laughs> what a nice intro. I love that.
0: Well, uh, and, and I, and I do mean it. I mean, when I look at a piece of, of your, of your visual art, I, I, then I check in and my face is just in this huge grin. Um, <laughs> it's just such, uh, celebration is the word that comes to my mind. Yeah. And the word I also hope we get into a little bit more, which is play and, and playground. But, um, definitely. I'm curious, just as we get started, um, to know what it is that you're working on currently or working towards currently.
1: Um, yeah. At the moment, I, I do have a solo show coming up in May and uh, which is going to ha that's pretty soon. <laughs> um, it's a small show, so it doesn't require too many pieces, but um, I do have to make probably, you know, six or seven, New paintings by May, and so I'm in the planning phase for that. Just coming up with my concept and um, yeah, what I would like it to revolve around, and it's specifically going to be um, a show of my synesthesia paintings. So um, every piece of art is of a song of a piece of music, and so right now uh, the theme that I'm running with it has to do with like the getaway, like driving as a general theme, movement, uh, sort of going towards something. And so I've been coming up with like a playlist of songs that kind of like fit in that scope and then kind of narrowing into which ones I actually want to paint based on my, uh, synesthesia experience. So that's kind of my most initial thing that's coming up. And, um, there's a lot of other little things, but just a lot of you know business uh, fine tuning and in that kind of stage right now. So, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. that's great, and and thanks for actually opening that up a little in terms of the process. And There are people who won't understand what's involved in 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 the journey towards a, a show, or in this case, a mm-hmm. solo show, um, and and that I'm sure has its own sense of expectation and and. Hopes and dreams by you, but also by you know the gallery that's that's hosting But Can mm-hmm. you just tell us a little bit more about how you how you have come to this idea? At, I, yeah, I'm I'm really really curious about your source of inspiration. And we will talk more about the synesthesia. You can mm-hmm. you can share that now. But 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 just how do you get from okay, I've got a room with walls or a space with light? Now what do I? What do I feel compelled to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh I I think so this will be my I think fourth or fifth solo show. And every time coming up with a concept usually usually you almost you have to almost not take it too seriously in a way. At least I do like the inspiration that I usually go with is something that just kind of like hits me in the moment. So, um, and sometimes the theme of the show can be serious, you know, not to say that it can not have serious undertones, but just the, uh, latching onto an idea, you kind of just have to like, listen to like, well, what's like feeding me right now? What am I, what am I feeling inclined to like think about? So, Hmm. um, for example, in 2018, I did, um, well, in 2017, I did my first solo show around this synesthesia work. And my synesthesia practice is, we can talk about it more in terms of technicality of synesthesia later, but um, I call it sound to color is sort of my, that practice is called sound to color. And each show has a playlist that goes with it. And so the very first show was called, um, and I, I, I Sorry, I named them by volume. So, my first show was Volume One Songs for Sad Girls. So, all of the paintings in that collection were songs sung or written by uh, female artists that were Mm -hmm. sad. (laughs) You know, it's like pretty (laughs) straightforward, but it was like a good concept and um, people liked it. You know, they knew what they were coming into. And then the second one, I evolved a little bit bigger than that. Volume two was called Early Funeral, and it was actually a really large show. It had uh, 15 new paintings. Some of them were five by three feet. Like it was quite a, a large gallery space. And um, that show ended up being all about musicians or artists who had passed away too soon. So I didn't want to focus just on the 27 Club because there's other art musicians and artists who have passed away that weren't 27 and uh, mm-hmm. but it was kind of a, a theme you know uh, and a number of them like made it in like Amy Winehouse, Janice Joplin they were in there um, but then we had the Otis Redding and Aaliyah and um Freddie Mercury, Marvin Gaye there was like a bunch of people that were included in it and each painting also had kind of a description of their uh their life but also how they passed away as well and so that but the paintings are so bright and colorful that it really Mm -hmm. did a lot of people were like oh it feels like a celebration and you're listening to the music at the same time which is like major hits right so it's like good feelings all around and it felt almost like a wake and Mm -hmm. uh the posters for it looked like a funeral service but with all of their sort of pictures on it and you could take a postcard of your favorite artist uh, anyway, it was very cool. It was a fun one. Um, but that was actually kickstarted because Mac Miller had passed away in September of that year. And I was really affected by his death for some reason. I'm not exactly, I didn't even specifically listen to his music beforehand, but something about his, his death and his age, he was only 26. It just really resonated with me. And then that just, I just took that moment and kind of like ran with it in terms of the theme. Um. Anyway, so it's kind of just whatever is like present of mind when I have to make a decision. So, Mm -hmm. for why I chose this one, I think it's twofold. Part of it is that I'm getting my license, (laughs) finally, (laughs) after a very long journey of not having a driving license. Um, And so, and my test is on May 5th. So everybody, you know, fingers crossed, May 5th is the test. Don't hold me to it, but at least I'm doing the test. But that's also when my show opens. So I'm like, if I just focus all that energy into the idea of driving as a freedom, then maybe that can also subconsciously assist me in this long-term goal that I have had to get this license. So it's like very basic. But then on the other hand, if you also think of it in a bigger scope, we've all been pretty cooped up. There's been a lot of feeling stuck. And now that the pandemic is kind of coming to a close, there is like that feeling of wanting to just run, to go, to be that like cartoon character that just like zips away in the puff of smoke. Like you just like there's dust, you know, (laughs) because we're just like, let's go. Let's start doing the things again. And I definitely have that yeah that that it's not even necessary it's not travel but it's that feeling of movement like allowing movement to begin again and so just using the idea of driving and roads and that as sort of the foundation for that feeling um yeah that was a very well, long th- answer to your question No, it's a
0: wonderful <laughs> answer and, and i think it reveals it, it, it reveals much about the the thinking process and the and more than the thinking process the the Sort of the whole, the whole connection for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and recognizing where what appears or as even as you're hearing yourself say it, what, what, what may sound to be simple is a reminder that that's how we bridge those, that, that, that understanding with, with how others experience the getting away or the let's just get out of here. Um, yeah. uh, sense, right? Finding that, th- that personal connection, right. focusing yourself in. Yeah.
1: Cause you also want to be inspired by what you're making too. Like, I don't want to, I wouldn't ever want to pick a theme that didn't also speak to me personally, like that I wasn't invested in because I have to spend all that time with those paintings and with that music and, you know, with the idea of, well, the concept of the show, you know, like I have to be the one that sits with that for months. So it's like, I want to also know that it's an exploration for me personally that I'm kind of excavating through that process. and But then also all of the themes that I have picked, they're also broad enough outside of my own personal need to explore something that I know that they can also be accessible to other people because that's important to me too is that someone sees a theme or a volume of work and they're like, oh yeah, I I get that. I love that feeling. I love tapping into that. Moment and feeling invited in, and then also feeling my own personal experiences as a viewer, you know, that type of thing. Because you don't, I think art is difficult because sometimes it can make people feel alienated. It can also make people feel very like inspired and welcomed, but it can also make people feel alienated or like not welcome. And so I think, especially with my synesthesia work, which is quite heady, it's quite con- conceptual. And visually, if you don't know the concept, you have no idea what you're looking at. and mm-hmm. so um, I in that way, I think I also need to use the concepts and the music as the gateway to bring people into the concept so that there's something familiar that they can latch onto that brings them closer to the work, otherwise, there's too much distance potentially in a world that has such a short attention span. Uh, there's almost too much distance to get people to come in for conceptual work. And so I think that's kind of also why that's important.
0: Yeah. A short attention span. And and also, I, I mean, I can't, I can't help, but think that we're in a world that needs connection more than ever before. I mean, given what we've been disconnected from, uh, and our, perhaps our, um, Unfortunate belief that, that, that our, that our social media platforms connect us when in fact we're missing that, that, that human, uh, that human experience. So you've, you've talked, I mean, in the whole, the whole, um, uh, celebration of this particular work has come from this synesthesia practice. Um, you, you, you draw, you draw experience or draw, draw influence from that experience. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm fascinated at how you discovered it how you've experienced it and, and even more so how you're partnering with this, this experience that you uniquely have uh, in, in the world and the way in which, in which you move through it. And, and you talked about how it can be quite heady and conceptual. And I know we're going to put a link to, uh to, to some of your work um, on so that, that people listening to this can actually go in and get a visual mm-hmm. along with that. But Wonder. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it is, what your um, experience of it is, and 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 how how you leveraged that as as a partner in the playground?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. So synesthesia is a um a neurological condition, and it basically um your brain is misfiring sensory information, so it causes like involuntary stimulation of one. Sense or like sensory pathway in another where it shouldn't be. So, for example, just to break that down, because there's a lot of actually, even within the synesthesia umbrella, there's a number of different kinds of synesthesia that people experience. Um, I mean, if you think about it, we have five senses, and if they're misfiring in any multiple different types of ways, then you get a number of combinations. So, For example, one of the most common ones is called graphene synesthesia. And that's when people um, see color when they're reading. So when they see numbers and letters, they see them in different colors. Or for someone, um, any word that starts with an A might be red. Uh, Any word that starts with a G might be blue or something. You know, everyone, there are different, everyone has their own uh, sort of experience with that. It's not one size fits all. So, grapheme synesthesia is the most common. Um, There's, for me, I experience uh, what is called chromesthesia or sound to color synesthesia, which is where I got the name um, of my practice from. And what that means is that when I hear music or tone, I see color. So, um, my brain has, yeah, a sensory stimulation of seeing color, or technically I actually feel color. I sometimes say see color because it's easier for people, even though they're both abstract, but I actually feel color almost the same way that you would, um, feel an emotion, like the way that you're like chemically almost like your body knows it's happy or it's sad. Like you can like feel it in the cells of your body. Mm -hmm. My body like feels color. So It's a very bizarre, but that is really, that's my experience. When I hear music, I feel color and I see shapes. So, um, yeah, different sounds will provoke different, uh, visual shapes. For me, it's more in my mind's eye that they are there. For some other people, it's like they physically see it in front of their eyes, like it's actually disruptive to their vision. Whereas I don't have that, which I, I'm grateful for because I think that that would hmm. be difficult in a noisy world. That would be very difficult. Um, yeah. So, sound to color is like a predominant one. There's another version called uh, mirror touch, and so I do have that one where um, if I see like pain happening to someone else, specifically if it's like an impact or near impact situation. Uh, I feel pain in my lower back uh, almost every time, and that one I've just learned to like, kind of absorb and kind of work through it. It's less nice, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but yeah. And and technically, I also have another kind called temporal-spatial synesthesia, where you see like calendars cyclically and uh, numbers and time. Sort of, most people, I guess, see things linear. I guess I've never seen it that way, um, but I just, I didn't know it was, these are things that I've learned. So um, anyway, yeah. it gets a little bit, you know, busy with all the words, but uh, basically it's a condition where your brain misfires sensory information and you have these unusual experiences. So I've always had synesthesia, but I didn't know that I had it because I didn't realize that other people we're not also having the same experiences. Um, so there never really felt like I need to talk about it. Uh, I found out, I realized that I had synesthesia when I was 22 and when I, when I was in university. So basically what happened was in my second year painting class, one of my professors had given us an assignment and he was like, okay, everybody has to paint a piece of music and or like a song. He didn't say piece of music. Everyone has to paint a song, and he was like, try not to make it literal. Uh, and so for me, I was like, well, obviously that's easy. <laughs> um, but for everyone else, they're like, oh, the song is about birds, so I'm going to put birds. And he was like, no, don't do that. But everyone did it anyway. <laughs> um, and then mine ended up being this like mess of shapes and color, and it was just this busy like. But it, there was nothing like um, what is the word. Uh, like there were no figures or there was nothing figurative or literal about it. Illustrative or, yeah. Exactly. Like it was just, and it, it was this like funny electronic song, super busy. And anyway, so that's what came up for me. And I remember like showing it to the class for our crit and everyone was just like, Okay cool, I guess. Like Nobody got it. They were just like, what the hell is this? And I was like, huh. Like I was really proud of it, but I also didn't know what I had done. Like I was just kind of like, well, this is obviously how I see this piece of music. Anyway, and then I just kind of moved on from it. But then the following year, one of the girls who was in that class with me, we were in the same class again. And it was not a painting class. It was a different class, but she came up to me. It was like one of the first weeks of school. And she was like, hey, I was thinking about you all summer. I learned about this Thing called synesthesia. And I honestly, I couldn't stop thinking about your painting. I think you might have that. And I was like, I've never heard of this word. Like, I think I asked her to repeat it like five times. Cause I just couldn't. And I finally wrote it down. Cause I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then it took me like a month and a half to actually look it up. Like I just didn't take her that seriously or like I was busy. I don't know. I was just like, Oh, interesting. And then I finally looked it up and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> that's me. I was like, I literally have that thing. There's a word for this experience. Uh, so that was really exciting and also like a bit overwhelming. I, I started having some, uh sort of um, like imposter syndrome feelings where I was like, do I actually have it? Do I not have it? Like, what is, Hmm. how can I confirm that I have it? Do I have to take some kind of test? Do I have to see a doctor? Like I was like looking into all these things, like trying to find doctors that you can do tests with. Like there is not really such a thing. Like doctors don't can't really test you for it. And there is something online called the synesthesia battery and you can do some of these like tests where they really are just monitoring your repetitive behavior based on colors and numbers and letters more, more or less. So it, it didn't actually speak to the types of synesthesia that I have anyway. So I was like, I tried to do it and I was like, this doesn't make sense for me. And eventually I just gave up and I read, started reading books. Like I bought books about synesthesia. Like I was just like, Oh my God, I need to, I got obsessive. Um, and it's like, okay, it's fine. I can just accept that I have it or believe B. that I have it and just mm-hmm. continue on, you know.
0: What was the first experiment uh, beyond the the experiment? You didn't even know what the parameters were except mm-hmm. what the, the, the prof had, had laid out. When, when did you start to take some intentionality around, well, let's see what might come of this and create this practice, as you say.
1: In my synesthesia practice, I have two different methods. One of them is called color frequency. And with the color frequency paintings, what I do is translate sheet music into color. So it's a very mathematical approach. It's a very systematic kind of abstract painting situation there. It looks like blocks of color, but technically it's the whole song from start to finish in time. And each color is connected to a note based on the key of the song and all of that. So there's that one, which is kind of the main one. But I do have a second method, which I call chromatic forms. And that allows me to express the colors and the shapes that I see, whereas the color frequency is just based on the colors that I feel when I'm listening to something. So this one allows me to express the colors that I feel and the shapes that I see at the same time. So when I first started, uh, I was really focusing more on the more like movement-based, flowy shape and color kind of expressions of synesthesia. And I did a lot of paintings like that. And then in my fourth year was when I honed in on my color frequency uh, practice. So it took me about a year before I got there. And then um, I wasn't, you know, it's funny. I I actually didn't... (laughs) wasn't super supported in this, uh, exploration. I wasn't unsupported, but I got a lot of pushback and, uh, I think it was just hard. There was no way for me to confirm or prove that I have synesthesia. And so they just had to believe me and they were just kind of Mm. like, but what, what if people don't believe you? Which is like, yeah, legit question. You know, there it's their my prof's jobs to kind of push, you know, but there was part of me that was just like, well, if they don't care, they don't care. Like I can't force someone to care if I can't prove something. Uh, but I'm one of them though, did actually just like a month ago, pass on the information of a current student he has because she has synesthesia. So he was like, Hey, this student has synesthesia. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk to her. So I was like, okay, well, there's some acknowledgement. (laughs) So that's nice. (laughs) Um,
0: I want to go back because at the, as, as you know at the the beginning, I, I spoke about how when it came to choosing a path through music or visual art, you, you simply didn't feel there was an option and now i 'm curious because you have found a very um, intentional way of showcasing the visual work and allowing the interactive experience of listening to the music that has been the the, the source of inspiration of that particular piece. Uh-huh. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your music, visual art path, and and tell us as much or as little about when when and how that that you know how, how you came to know? I can't not do both.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I yeah I've been interested in both like. I was singing when I was tiny and was always interested in music, have a pretty musical family. So that was, and we always like sang together and there's always music playing in my house. So I think that definitely sort of solidified uh, that love for me. But then innately, I also was always interested in art and I was always drawing on everything. Uh, even in high school, I was drawing on desks and things and would have to stay after class to scrub it off. <laughs> it was I like, don't think
0: so, you were alone, but that's no. okay. <laughs>
1: my like social studies teacher was always like, you can do that, but you have to wash, like you have to scrub it off with that like salmon smelling baking soda scrub. I don't know if you remember that stuff, but anyway, yeah. So I, you know, it was just like always drawing in and, and uh, but then music was sort of my Self-expression kind of avenue as well. I mean, they both have a place of self-expression, obviously. They're a form of expression, but I think music always was where I could really express my, like, personal em- feelings mm-hmm. and emotions, because I didn't, um, I was a pretty quiet kid, and I didn't necessarily, uh, wear that stuff on the outside or express myself that way. And so I always found a lot of solace in, in music and I still feel that way. Um, and my music tends to be a little bit more like serious, I guess. It tends to be a little more like emotional, serious kind of zone, whereas my art tends to be a lot more like playful and uh, vibrant. And so I think I definitely see how they they both play a part in my own personal uh need for expression and but in different mm-hmm. sides of myself so
0: and yeah. you gave a, a really clear uh, exploration uh, explanation of how synesthesia works to your visual art does it support the music in any in any way going in the opposite direction i'm, I'm curious
1: yeah I, not so much um I think I don't focus on it too much. I mean, it is there, like when I'm making music or listening to music, I'm obviously like there's colors and shapes and there is that. I don't I don't necessarily sit there and be like, mm, I want this song to be more blue or it needs to be more purple. Like I'm not, I don't, I could, but I just, for some reason, it's just not part of my music making practice. I'm tapping way more into the like emotional center of what I'm doing for those ones uh for music and yeah so in, in so it doesn't really connect at all I don't really bring the synesthesia in with the music but I think that one thing that is nice with that uh synesthesia practice is that it it does allow me to bridge both my art and my music world together in one thing because so much in my life they have been very separate and uh, it's, it's always been hard for me to kind of balance both because I'm so passionate equally about both. And so this painting practice is a way where I can, you know, include my love of music I my ability to read music so that I can create these paintings. Uh, you know, they, it all works together in this one little container. And so I, I, mm. it's, it's definitely a sweet spot for me and I really enjoy that about, about that practice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely. And so, if uh, if we wanted to see this show, where would we have to be? And uh, and, and and where would you be parking your car, uh, having <laughs> driven yourself to the gallery on uh, on that first week of May?
1: Ooh. Um,
0: no pressure. That would be <laughs> <'cause> so
1: <laughs> awesome if I could drag myself to the show.
0: <laughs> uh, well, set that sight.
1: I mean, yeah, you never know. The test is on a Thursday. So if the opening is on the Friday, I very well could drive myself there. <laughs> um, okay, so the show is in Gibsons, BC, which is on the Sunshine Coast. And it is at the Cube Gallery. So they're kind of like a, a goods and art space. So they have an exhibit space, but they also sell... Uh, home goods and all that kind of stuff. And then there's art studios in the back. Lovely. Um, So it's a, it's a cool spot. Uh, and it's up for the whole month of May. I don't know when the opening is. I did just email to figure that out, but, uh, it's up for the whole month of May and they do have parking to the left of the building. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> minus one vehicle which will already be parked
1: yes exactly
0: <laughs> okay a thank you and again <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make sure that we've got that information available as well for people that are are wanting perhaps myself included to yes. hop on a ferry and get across to gibson's and uh, totally. or come down from the coast that's wonderful
1: and if thank anybody you. wants to come at any point and you want me to be there just tell me it's up the street i will show up <laughs>
0: You don't need to drive at all.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, up the street is a five minute drive, but a 40 minute walk because it's a hill. So it's, yeah.
0: (laughs) On the next episode of Ellipsis Thinking, I sit down with Nicole Dibert, someone that I have come to know and celebrate as a courageous, powerful human being who clearly is on her own Renaissance woman journey. Whether at work as head scenic painter at the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton, at home surrounded by acrylics, oils, or watercolours, or her digital canvas, in her kitchen with an ever-widening palette of garden delights heading into preserve jars, or as she currently steps into an entrepreneurial ring, Nicole boldly embraces her truest creative nature. In our conversation, she shares how she loves the invitations to figure out artistic solutions to the challenges of creating visually stunning illusions in the theatre. We talk about the path to mastery and the role that intuition and experimentation play. I also ask her how she continues to access the kind of space that allows her to drop in and get lost in the creative zone of a work in progress. I hope you will join us for another conversation on Ellipses Thinking. And if you are enjoying this program, please spread the word with your community of curious listeners. So I'm, I'm curious, can you talk to us a little bit about what you have come to know that you couldn't have possibly imagined when you were 12, 13, 14 about, about this creative life you're now living?
1: I couldn't have known how hard it was going to be <laughs> mm-hmm. but also how fulfilling and that you both things can exist at the same time um it takes a lot to be a freelancer in general but also a freelance creative is just a whole other ball game and being in business for yourself and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey for sure to like get to a point where just even aside from having an art practice, but the business side is starting to like feel more solid and coming together. And, um, I can stand, you know, more firmly and being like, I have a business, like I am a business, (laughs) you know? Um, and that's something that I always dreamed of. I, I think, uh, maybe sometimes the, the way that we dream of things when we're younger isn't necessarily how it works out when you're older, but it's also completely different in the most beautiful way that life is unpredictable. And so I think those like early childhood dreams can be, it's almost like we shouldn't look at them so specifically of like what it is exactly that the dream that we had was, but it's like, well, what did the seeds of that dream, what were the seeds of that dream, and how did those come true versus the way that we, in our limited experience as a 12 year old mm-hmm. may have envisioned that life to look, you know, mm. um, there's a lot about the art world that I didn't know. And the, my, my, a lot of the examples that you see are the traditional examples of galleries and like all of that but the world has also i mean instagram didn't exist when i was 12 you know <laughs> it was so mm-hmm. the internet was fairly new when i was 12 so there's so many different ways that um, the art community and music community have shifted for better or for worse but we're always evolving and changing and having to adapt with what is now and i think that there's some really beautiful things that have been able to come out of what I couldn't have even imagined at the time. Mm. Yeah,
0: it seems to me as I'm hearing that, and I I wonder how much of a challenge it is, because as you say, there's naivete at twelve, which is which which you would not a want to hear if you were twelve, <laughs> yeah. but you come to appreciate and honor when you're not, mm-hmm. when you when you've moved past it. But there's also, and I I think I. I I spoke of it a moment ago. There's an intensity. There is a mm. brightness and a flame, and everything's everything's alive, and everything and everything is everything. It's everything, right? I mean, it's it's not a bad day. It's a horrible day. Right. It's a, not a great day. <laughs> yeah. It's the best day ever. So, and and that too, we celebrate. You wouldn't want to tell the twelve-year-old that that was the way they were living. Mm-mm. And what what a challenge it must be if you don't m- move smoothly or or successfully through that so that you're holding to that desire that those dreams that you spoke of which were wonderful dreams but not really based in reality mm-hmm. um if you get stuck in that place along or stuck anywhere along the way yeah you know
1: i, I um, think oh, sorry if you had a question to...
0: no that's okay, okay. yeah no, i
1: just a few things kind of came to mind as you were saying that like I think where I have felt that, for example, is like with music. Uh, When I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be a pop star and I'm going to be, you know, the next great big thing, whatever, which is like fair. At the time, there was American Idol was booming. There was that was like what we were seeing. It was the early 2000s. That was the pop era, you know, Mm -hmm. and music has changed a lot since then. And. Also, you have to look at your strengths. I don't necessarily have the personality of a pop star. and I don't necessarily (laughs) want to be seen by millions of people like that. (laughs) And so then it's like, okay, well, then what's realistic for your actual strengths and who you are and the things that make you unique? And maybe that gets you attention. But what is it that ultimately is like your actual path versus Hmm thinking I was going to be the next Britney Spears or Ariana Grande or whatever it is, you know, yeah. There was like a couple years ago where I was actually like, I really, I'm not, that's not, that's actually not my dream anymore. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm still on this, like trying to be that in a way, mm. you know, and having to like, it's, there's like a tiny bit of grieving that happens. Cause you always have to grieve the thing that you thought you wanted. But then, mm-hmm. but then there is a, uh there's a beauty in also knowing who you actually are and coming to terms with who you actually are and and then recreating rebuilding the dream based on what you've learned you know yeah um yeah i mean i i also yeah. went through that with with art a little bit like after i graduated from university i actually really struggled and i didn't paint for two years uh, wow. I was really burnt out from the academic system and uh, I I couldn't understand they didn't prepare you in any way to know how to make a living as an artist especially because so much of the ways that you make money now is in commercial art and they were very much like no commercial art this is just fine art but the fine art world is, a little outdated and hard to get into and, uh, you know, the select few. So it was kind of like, well, does that even feel right for me? Mm-hmm. So I had to take this big, long break. But then in 2015, I started kind of like easing my way Back in with the synesthesia paintings was kind of there was a Beyonce theme show and I was like I'm going to make one based on Beyonce and that's fun and it doesn't have to be uh, pretentious and it doesn't have to have all this weight it can just be for fun and then I loved it and then I just started kept easing until it actually became my practice which is what I had always wanted um, but I had to especially with the art career. Well, no, both, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> I've okay. had to recalibrate so many times because you're kind of, you have your trajectory, you're looking straight ahead, you see where you want to go, but the road isn't always straight. So you're just trying to kind of course correct in order to eventually kind of be in the direction of where you want to go. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, interesting. You say
0: course Course correct, because it's also about course acknowledge That that I wasn't. That's not my course. That's uh-huh. not my lane.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: this is my lane, and now now I can drive in this lane, and I can look over there, and I can appreciate that that's somebody's lane, and I, and I can also appreciate perhaps now from my vantage point that that was a lane I thought I was supposed to be in, and a vehicle I thought I was supposed to be driving. Uh-huh. But this is me, and this goes at this pace, fast or slow. This I get to choose, and and there's a. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing and what you're saying as you're, as you're talking about the things that you've, you've discovered. And I know that in an earlier conversation, you and I had also talked about how your creativity kind of has its seasons that Mm -hmm. you have come to be come to know or are, are continuing to know as you discover what is your rhythm. And I can tell us a bit bit more about what that is for you, or at least what wisdom is emerging from that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, That actually kind of ties into that whole, I didn't paint for two years. And I think that was one season where I wasn't able to, it took me a long time to overcome the blocks, the fear, the everything that you start to kind of, when you take a break, I find when you take a break from creativity, it leaves, it's almost like you've inhaled when you put something out into the world, you've inhaled and there's this expansiveness and this openness, and it's just like the most exciting thing. And then because you've expanded, you've also then there's a pause that allows space for the negative self-talk, the fear, the creative blocks, all of that stuff to kind of come back in if you don't continue going. And at least that's my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the university stuff, I got like, I had, it was such a big expansion at the end of graduating from that program. And then I just got totally like freaked out. So there was the pause. And then it took me the two years to kind of like really claw my way back and be like, no, this is something I love. This is something I'm passionate about. This is something that I'm called to do and continue to do. Now, how do I get back? And in that case, it was baby steps. It was testing the waters. It was seeing if people were interested at all and getting feedback that I liked back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then um, once I actually kind of got my... My process rolling, I still found myself having the season. So there would be like a huge creative output where I'm just in it. It's my everything. And then there's, you know, downtimes, which is important for creativity. And it's important for people to have those downtimes, to get re-inspired, to re-energize, you know, all of those things. Um, but then it's also finding, learning how to find your way back faster. Um, and not taking as long a breaks, you know, um, I find yeah. that I take a, a break every December and then in the January, February shift, I have to start finding my way back. And so for me, having like a solo show in May, that's a really good push because it means I have to make work uh, and I have to get back into it, you know, um, I think. Yeah, knowing yourself when you need a break. And challenging yourself on the, the fears, like I, I'm not exactly sure why this happens, but and I think that I've heard that this happens to a lot of other artists, but when you leave the canvas for too long, it can be really hard to make the first marks when you come back. And mm. the last month I've noticed, I'm like, I have painting ideas swirling all over the place. And then I think about actually trying to execute it. And all of a sudden I'm like, I have no ability. I can't even put Paint on canvas, like who am I to even try? Like, it's really like it gets pretty like intense. But then I have to just sit with it and be like, well, no, I've done this before. I've done it successfully before. There's also no reason why this one piece has to be your masterpiece. (laughs) Mm. It's okay to just show up. It's also okay to show up and things not be perfect. And I don't like to say practice makes perfect because I don't believe in perfection, but I also think that there is, it kind of ties into the lesson that I learned from you as a teenager with play, how important play is. So for me, showing back up at the canvas, I think the thing that pushes me through is that desire to play and that the Mm. play is not, has no sense of perfection in it it's about feeling messy it's about just trying it's about you know throwing care to the wind and just doing what your heart desires and mm-hmm. following your inspiration and so I think that's something that especially in the last couple of years I've been really trying to bring back in is the idea of play when I arrive mm-hmm. in my creative space um I'm not
0: sure. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I do. You <laughs> know, none of my questions need need to yeah. have an, <laughs> a, an answer targeted to them. I'm just hoping for exactly what I'm hearing, which is just more of you. Um So play. And just before we go there, I, I, I think I also want to acknowledge that I'm hearing um, your awareness of the elements of your rhythm such that it feels to me like, yeah, you know that there's going to be this experience, Expansion, and then there's space into which some negativity and self critique may come. But the very awareness of that means that you're probably also—I suspect—you're probably also finding um, a voice to speak back to, and to and and to be in. You know, it's that. So much of it is about partnership, isn't it? It's a partnership with ourselves in all of the elements of ourselves. You know, I, I don't think that we can ever. I don't think we can get rid of the, the the voices of self-critique, but but we can help to manage them and own them rather than allow them to own us. And totally. that's sort of what I'm hearing coming forward in your, your own gathering of wisdom around yeah, this. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, like I would definitely say that, um, you know, years ago that the negative self-talk was like more overwhelming. And now I can just recognize it. And, you know, it's like noting, you learn that in therapy, but you like, you know, you note a feeling, you note a thought and you acknowledge it for what it is. And then you kind of move on. Or I like to think of it as like, okay, if I've noted a feeling or something that my negative self-talk is saying to me, then I can have a conversation back with it. And the positive side of me or the more logical side can show up and be like, I see where you're coming from, but <laughs> mm-hmm. let's also, what if we just tried this?
0: Mm-hmm. What if, Yeah, you know, I, I honor you. Thank you for that. I'll mm-hmm. take it into consideration. And now on we go, but,
1: yeah.
0: I'm, but again, I'm driving.
1: This yeah. is my lane. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sit down beside me. If you'll want to come on the trip. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's like I, it's like, I understand that you're trying to protect me, but I yeah. don't need protection right now. Yeah. You know, and you just kind of, yeah
0: <laughs> so that's and that's lovely, and as you say, uh, you don't have to set yourself up for the masterpiece, and you don't mm-hmm. even have to set yourself up for a whole lot of minor pieces. I mean, quit defining them, yeah, just play and see yeah. what comes, and you might be surprised
1: and I do think that part of that comes from an Instagram world as well, mm-hmm. like a uh, social media world, um, is that as an artist? And this is something I'm seeing reflected back to me by a lot of my artist friends is that the sheer amount of your art is no longer artist content. And so the sheer amount of content that you need to be creating in order to be able to be like posting every day or sharing your work or making people care like that kind of stuff is quite overwhelming. And so I think that's where a lot of my own personal, like afraid to even show up to the canvas, because then in my mind, I'm like, well, what if I make something that's not worthy of posting? Then was it a waste mm. of time? And so there's like that kind of dialogue, which I think a lot of people are trying to move away from. I personally would rather not think like that at all. Um, mm. But it definitely is a modern artistic problem. <laughs> Yeah. problem of this generation of creatives for sure because it's oh, wow. there yeah
0: hmm. so if i was to ask as succinctly as possible how do you define or arrange your world your playground if you will to invite the greatest creativity for you What what Ooh. what what do you do to say, I mean, even before we sat down this morning, you said, "I just need to make a cup of tea." Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are your rituals? What is your what is your space—formal studio or otherwise? Studio of your imagination. What 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 are the conditions?
1: Hmm. I love that question. I just got so excited when you asked that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. Well. One thing that I've started to do in because I have an office and I have like a studio in my backyard for painting and stuff um, in my office. One thing that I've started to try to do is um, uh, create almost like a little like before sitting down for work, I will light some incense, light a candle. I've got a couple I've got my marbles out, um, which is <laughs> a specific reference to a high school uh, tradition that uh, Greg bestowed upon his students. And I still have the marbles that the graduates get to keep. I still have mine in my office.
0: I'm glad you haven't lost them.
1: No, I have not (laughs) lost them. Not yet. (laughs) Hopefully never. Um, So I have started just recently in the last couple months trying to actually set up a a bit of a a calming arriving ritual in my office work just because emails and communication that way. And just kind of the nitty gritty can feel very unmagical. And so I'm mm. trying to like get centered back into my focus and my why and just sort of the, just, yeah, bringing a little bit more magic into that part of business. I've actually been finding really enriching. And I learned that from somebody else recently. And I was like, oh, that's a just a very beautiful. nice thing. Yeah. Um, and then with my painting practice, Yeah. Usually I'll make a coffee before a tea before I go out. Um, I typically will have some kind of music. I, with the paintings that revolve around music, I create like a a pre like a formula ahead of time so I listen to the song I assign notes with music I'm not like listening to the song on repeat because I did actually used to do that and it drove me insane so now mm-hmm. once I've you know come up with my color score then I don't need to be listening to the music while I'm painting so sometimes I'll have music just general music playing or I like to have like Shows that I've watched a million times over, just like playing in the background. It's basic, but like Gilmore Girls or Friends, New Girl, things that are just like fun and humorous in the background. Um, I do my, my studio at the moment is fairly sort of basic. Like it's just white walls and nothing super exciting, but I want to paint a mural in there and I do mm-hmm. have plans of painting the front door. Like pink and like repainting the outside of the studio, this like super fun colors and just kind of make it my. I call it the pink box, and so oh, I, that's I just, lovely. just I want to start bringing. I've been imagining ways of bringing more play into that space, so that mm-hmm. it really feels like I can get messy and I can just make it my yeah. own. So no,
0: yeah, that's like, yeah. Going out okay. to the garden or to the okay. paint box, I mean, mm-hmm. it's that sense of your garden, what you're planting. That's lovely. I, I could talk with you all all day, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and I just, uh, yeah, it's been so lovely to reconnect with you. Okay. I have um, I have a question I've been asking at the end of these conversations, and I just want to shift to that now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, when I ask. When I use the term grandchild, I'm not referring necessarily to your grandchild, if there is one to come, but, um, but, but generationally ahead and into <laughs> the future. If that child were to tell their child about you, what would you hope that they would be able to say? What story or, or image would they paint?
1: Oh, my goodness. That's a big question. <laughs> um. Hmm. I think I I would hope that they would speak of me in a like playful and colorful way. I I would hope that they remembered me as maybe someone who stepped a little outside the box and brought joy and happiness through her art to people and the community, that I was a good friend and community member and that I was funny (laughs) and yeah I don't know I think generally like positive but I would be okay with being like the kooky ancestor you know Mm. like someone who was just like you know she was she was kind of that kooky artist lady you know I'm down with growing up to be that person (laughs) i think oh, i've been wonderful. relatively conservative in my early life and i'm growing into that person and i'm super down for that
0: yeah the, <laughs> so the one I'm with the, okay the paint box the hard. painted exactly. the painted studio in the back garden oh, exactly that's lovely yeah <laughs> so again thank you for for your time and your stories and your growing wisdom it uh, it's lovely to it's lovely to be with you today
1: yeah thank you so much for inviting me into this conversation and just asking me questions and listening me talk and it's been really amazing to just yeah reconnect with you as like and we've always been like you know connected but i feel like reconnect as adults or me as an adult but that yeah. is a really beautiful uh, evolution of our friendship and uh, i'm stoked to have been invited to chat with you
0: If you happen to live on the Sunshine Coast or are planning a trip this May, we hope you'll drop in to see CL's upcoming show at the Cube Gallery. The Cube is located at 104-875 Gibson Way in Gibsons, B.C. The show opens to the public on Friday, May 6th from 7 to 9, and then remains up until May 29th. You can find more information on CL and her sound-to-color practice as well as information on all our guests by visiting ordinarypodcasts.com. Ellipses Thinking is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is produced by Jordan Dollar-Coltman and Greg Dollar-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snownois and Qualicum people. The First Peoples have been here for over 10,000 years. Their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.